Hello, and welcome to the third season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Jason K. Purdy. Jason is a composer, lyricist, and book writer whose work includes Wings of the Dove, Blood by the Mummers, Simon Says, adapted from Lord of the Flies, a Prospect Summer Intensive Commission, and Ten Reasons I Won't Go Home With You, a Midtown International Theater Festival winner for Best Music and Lyrics. He is a founding member of the interactive theater group by the Mummers and holds an MFA from NYU's Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. We're going to talk today about horror in musical theater. Hey, Jason. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Hello, Shoshana. Thank you for having me. We are going to get started with our get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? Um, I had... My church, when I was little, like five, six, seven, did uh, these uh, did these yearly musicals for Christmas and other seasons. So it was they they it was they bought you get the you rent the uh, script, you rent the backing tracks and everything, and you do these uh, Happy Jesus musicals where one of the adults in the church. Uh, dresses up as a psalm as a like a psalm book <laughs> and you put on these little shows and uh that yeah that i grew up doing like little church christmas pageants and stuff like that and that's it was weird to, for me to think recently that the first experiences i had with musicals were in a very very conservative church environment <laughs> um, in eighth grade my high school did pippin and mm-hmm. it was the first real like musical I've gone to see in that respect like yeah. it was the first production of a musical I guess I'd seen like um which surprises me I feel like I should have seen more um but uh I asked my mom if I could go back and see it the next night because I loved it so much mm-hmm. uh, and I just knew immediately that that's what I wanted to be doing like that as I could not wait to get into high school to be I'd done the school plays and everything in in middle school but uh to see that the high school was getting to do these full-on productions Mm -hmm. was mind-blowing so yeah I really wanted to be a part of it which musical has had the greatest impact on you Rent it feels so cliche (laughs) (laughs) but like this is the silliest story Uh, my high school english teacher gave me her copy of the cast album Mm -hmm. senior year the show had been out since uh the show had been out for two years um i didn't know what i was doing with my life i didn't know what i wanted to do for college i knew i wanted to do plays and musicals i knew my mother wanted me to go to be an english major um i had no idea how just literally anything in the world worked and completely out of clear blue sky one day my the coolest teacher in my school for one Mm -hmm. um she walked up to me one day and handed me her cd her the that big rent double cd yeah uh, and was like here you know i think you'll like this um took it home that night popped it on while i did my homework and just kind of ignored it into and then uh it got to the end of la vie bohème the end of the first act and it was that to you and you and you you and you Mm -hmm. and like you couldn't put write this into a movie because people would say that's too stupid i was just like me like (laughs) me well um it was one of the first instances where i felt like the thing that i loved was telling me it was okay to do the thing that i loved Mm -hmm. like take some risks about it um i have a very different relationship with rent now (laughs) but yeah uh, but the, that nostalgia and that love for what it for kind of propelling me into uh just taking the just taking the leap and going into theater um it literally changed my life it yeah. just changed the entire direction of my life 
if you were to require our president or government leaders to see one musical, which one would you have them see? I almost want to say American Psycho because <laughs> it, that show was very prescient. I feel like it uh-huh. had it opened a year later. Um, it would have felt almost too on the nose. It felt on the nose at the time because there's a lot of references to our current president in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people thought that those were put in. Um, they were not part of the book on mm-hmm. which it's based, and they very much are. Uh, but... Uh, I also feel like that that would be just as lost on them as it was on the finance bros who came to see American Psycho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not that I think anything wouldn't be lost on this uh, on this administration. Uh, Jagged Little Pill. Mm-hmm. I think Jagged Little Pill would just annoy the hell out of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it's so, like, aggressively woke. Mm-hmm. Um, Jagged Little Pill makes the right people angry. Mm-hmm. And that... <laughs> these, these, these people would very much be profoundly uncomfortable sitting through it. That works. What's your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? Tamar of the River. Yes. <laughs> I've heard of it, but my fa- yeah. <laughs> it is my, it's my favorite musical. Um, it's, I, it's by Joshua Cohen and mm-hmm. Maurice Michelson and I hope I said her last name right. Uh, Saw it at Prospect in 2014. Margot mm. Siebert sings every note that exists on that cast album. Yeah. Um, taking this, they took this small story, this very small, when I looked up the source material, this very small uh, Old Testament passage about Tamar and Judah and blew it up into this surreal, like, abs- like I don't know how they made that show. Like, yeah. I don't know how they wrote it. Like, Yan Lee, my writing partner, is an absurd musician. He doesn't know how they wrote that show. Um, the, the vocal things that that cast had to do, the, the, the world that they created, the soundscape that they all created, just, I think that that is everything that the musical should be. Mm. And it was presented in that, like, uh, did you did you get to see the show? I did, yeah. The way it was presented in that um, gym, the gymnasiumish way with the from down the center and everything. Right, right. You were uh, you were sitting on like almost all sides, I think. Yeah. Maybe three three sides, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that it just felt like you were in something. Yeah, great, great choice, great choice. Um, what's the most interesting thing you've learned from a musical? I saw Tim Huang's American Morning presentation mm-hmm. at um, Prospect last year. Yeah. Um, all the great things I get to see are at Prospect, I feel like. Um, they do good stuff. And that show, uh, that piece is written so that uh, book scenes that are done perform between these. It's about Chinese immigrant cab drivers in New York City. And mm-hmm. it's uh, written so that the book scenes between them where they are speaking Mandarin or uh, Cantonese is, are all in colloquial English. So they're talking to each other like you and I, but if they're talking to Americans where they are talking English, um, I say as if the air quotes can be seen on audio, uh, (laughs) they speak with their accents, they speak with um, broken English. Mm -hmm. And I have felt punched in the chest by this, by that choice, because it made me, really feel my own in my own prejudices my own biases like my own like like how I immediately judged these characters that I knew to be kind and complex and interesting and human beings like myself as soon as they were speaking my language wrong Mm -hmm. I felt like oh they're you judge their intelligence you judge their like and yeah. it's this knee-jerk thing that I'm like I, I'm not driving the car that's doing this like like it's so mm. ingrained almost yeah like, and it felt like it it made me really confront that in myself and it's something that I thought I was over right um after I'm woke liberal musical theater writer in New York City and mm-hmm. I definitely definitely learned something about myself watching that mm. production let's 
talk about horror. Um, horror in musical theater. So we'll just start generally with uh, what what made you want to, what excites you about this topic? I think it's something where, uh, I think it's something that musical theater is still learning to figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, still trying to trying to something musical theater still trying to learn how to do yeah another way to say that um i think musical theater borrows the style of horror a lot Mm -hmm. but not necessarily the the uh goals necessarily um i mean sondheim has explicitly said that he wanted to see if he could scare an audience with Mm -hmm. sweeney and I remember seeing the video of Sweeney when I was in eighth grade and it did scare the heck out of me because those cameras like right up in those faces, yeah. of, like, uh, and the way the stage makeup was for that production, it was just so creepy. But beyond that, I don't think that musical theater when it's using horror is really aiming to necessarily unnerve people or actually scare people in the way say the conjuring five would be you know Mm -hmm. um american psycho is very satirical uh uh where the tigers is very much a character piece uh trying to think of uh then sweeney also has that kind of cult there's a massive commentary around that well sweeney's doing a lot of things yeah um so like and then little shop little shop is has that whole Faust thing going for it. There's a whole class thing going for it. There's, I feel like when musical theater does horror, it's doing a, it's doing a lot of work to make up for the fact that it's probably not going to be terribly scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, but the borrowing of the style is fascinating because this it's cool. Well, what's interesting to me about this discussion, I guess, is what, what is it about musicals? that prevents them from being scary and i think this kind of gets into what are you know what are the elements of 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 horror and why you know why do we have this whole horror film genre that doesn't and even horror books you know books can be scary too that doesn't quite translate to musical theater with one of the musicals i've written i said that we were explicitly setting out to write a scary piece mm-hmm. and I started kind of looking at the different types of horror movies and all as we were going through that and how uh, one of the problems that I think musicals have with where, where musical theater and horror are at odds is that in, a lot of horror is reactive a lot of horror is the, the haunted house, the go- all most ghost stuff is, I moved into this house and everything was fine until. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody comes out of the gate with a need mm-hmm. in a lot of horror stories. Uh, or um, even like a monster story, you really have just a thing that's coming for people and they hope it doesn't kill them. Yeah. Uh, I think that's why you need something. You almost need the... Well, with Little Shop and Sweeney, you need the Elizabethan thing. You need that Revenger tragedy or the or the like the Faustian tragedy underneath right. it uh, to really propel that narrative. You have to have it, the most helpful thing to have in writing any musical is to have somebody who wants something, right. as we all know. Uh, and you don't get that with necessarily a lot of horror stories, I guess. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of very passive characters who becomes who are re, who ultimately have to react to some kind of intrusion. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like Dracula is primarily reacted to uh, the most active creature and the most active person in Frankenstein is the creature. Uh, so you kind of have to, I think, adjust for that. And, mm. Stephen uh, Stephen King breaks the elements of horror down to terror, horror, and revulsion. And I think the terror thing is also difficult to do on stage. Yeah. Um, the hor- the revulsion thing is quite easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure we've seen in one thing or another. And the horror part, I think the easiest thing to do is the, what a lot of films end up doing is they just jolt the audience where they can. Right. Uh, it's just boo, boo, boo. 
and sometimes that's very effective. And Pillow Man had that moment where uh, that pretty much jumped, knocked everybody out of their seats. While uh, listening to a little bit of Carrie for this yeah. um, last night, I was thinking about how I think that there is a very different musical that can be written mm-hmm. uh, from that source material. Yeah. Uh, uh, my first reaction was, wow, this sounds like, a lot of the other angsty teen musicals that are being written right now. Mm-hmm. But I had to kind of remind myself that it isn't, it was written uh, almost 40 years ago. Right. So like uh, it was doing something that not a lot of other things were necessarily doing at the time, but seeing, uh, I think it plays by a lot of the musical rules and therefore it gives up on it. It gives up a little bit of its, uh, uh, threatening quality, the, that cultivation of dread that you kind of need to uh, to maintain a little bit of that uneasiness in your audience if you want mm. to actually scare people or creep them out or get under their skin. Yeah. When you have Carrie come out and immediately sing like a five-minute uh, epic I Want song about herself, and I would judge that that character at that point in that narrative doesn't have those words for herself mm-hmm. and you maybe want her to get to that point later on in the show and uh it continuing to kind of swirl around this kind of uh poppy fun high school high school musical type thing almost kind of undermines a little mm-hmm. bit of what you're going for for that i think that's why Andy was weak is so uh effective and and we'll get to that um, yeah because it actually brings you into this kind of really threatening world i stole the phrase cultivation of dread from my writing part (laughs) Um, (laughs) no i love it i love it because dread the idea of dread is so interesting mm -hmm. especially when we think when i think about about horror i haven't seen i'm not a big horror person Mm -hmm. um but sometimes i I am uh, forced to watch horror, <laughs> horror fil- <laughs> films and and stuff. And um, but I think you're right in that the dread is so important, like cultivating that in the yeah. er- early on. Um, I think, I mean Sweeney Todd. I know that show pretty well, and I feel like that does a good job of cultivating it. Like you feel you just kind of feel like something really bad is going to happen, but like, you're not quite sure what it is. I mean, just the, that opening number, the, the ballad of Sweeney Todd, even though it's telling you, it's giving you a lot of information. It's like very factual. There's something about that music, that whistle. Sweeney really, I think, invites you into this creepy, into this creepy world, and I think it makes you feel safe enough with the ballad of Sweeney Todd to, mm-hmm. like, all right, I know what it, what's going on. Oh, it's, we got. It doesn't have like the jolts that a lot of things can do now with the way sound design is now. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has that factory whistle, which is it's oh, it gets under your skin, yeah, yeah. and. And that just kind of drone of the opening, I think it in, invites you into a world where, and gives you a fairly straightforward narrative mm-hmm. to look at. It's just like, all right, this guy's coming back and he's unhappy with how he was treated last time he was in London. Right. <laughs> and he's going to do something about it. And we, we, we know where it's going to go. He's the the hero of our show has just been referred to as a demon in the first five <laughs> um and i think it kind of um, invites the audience to enjoy the the seediness and to to like enjoy their own dread and uh uneasiness at the world it's just him and joanna 
when Joanna's hiding in his mm-hmm. in, in um in the and trunk, then Lucy, yeah. yeah and that I mean the beggar woman spoiler yeah. alert um <laughs> Both of him finding both both of them being found are just such moments of just like, yeah, their that the sudden feeling that nothing is safe yeah is very very palpable in this scenes and when I, I've watched when I've watched videos and whatnot over again I still feel the same like sense of I don't know what's going to happen yeah. even though I know what's going to happen I mean I just or got chills yeah <laughs> but yeah let's let's talk about um. American Psycho, because I know you know that show really well, and I definitely want to make sure we talk about that. Cool. I worked the entire run as bartender at American Psycho, all two months of it. <laughs> uh, American Psycho, I, that show was, the fascinating thing about uh, American Psycho was how much of a Rorschach test it was for the audience. You may have mentioned earlier that the finance, the you'd see these like finance bros and like very bougie people coming to see the show. And mm-hmm. I remember someone checking their uh, shopping bags at our coat check and being like, "Can you like keep an extra eye on those shoes? Those are very expensive shoes." Mm-hmm. Like these are the people being satirized in this show, right? And they will not see it. They will not get it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was one of the only shows I've ever seen where people like my middle brother, who is a big horror guy, went to school for makeup and stuff like that, wears really gross T-shirts with, like, zombie heads on them <laughs> and stuff. I'd see those guys coming down all excited. They're like, is there the music? Like, yeah. other T-shirts? Like, like little kids. Types of guys I've never seen at a Broadway show before um, were at that show. Um, that show used a lot of uh, a lot of the jump boo sound design uh if that uh if the sound design tony had been up that season it probably would have at least been nominated because it mm-hmm. won the drama task the thing about american psycho's relationship to actual horror and being scary mm-hmm. to me is i think that it very wisely chose to let itself be the satire that it is and not try to overdo it mm-hmm. uh, the horror of it uh do you know the book or the movie that well uh, at all i do not and i i didn't see the show i mean i i guess i knew it was about a guy killing people and that was enough for me not (laughs) not to want to see it i mean i mentioned like i'm not really a horror person but i think like i think part of me not wanting to see it was i actually was scared to see it yeah not like scared of being like scared like a horror movie but like scared about how horrified i'd be at at people being killed that i of of witnessing people being killed on stage and i just didn't think i wanted to have that experience like even little shop um Mm -hmm. is hard for me to watch because of the people who get because it shows people being killed in like I know it's like a black comedy or however you want to classify it but that but because it's done in like a kind of a fun funny way that doesn't quite work for me mm-hmm. as like a just experiencing as like an experience it, or it seemed like this would be a similar thing and I, I know there's like a satirical aspect as there is with yeah. Little Shop. And I know that there's there's like a, a fun element, you know, but yeah, it was like I but I think I was scared like that I would of how I would feel watching it. Uh, one thing I was thinking about yesterday while preparing for this was the challenge of horror is people don't want to be scared. Yeah. Even people who say they want to be scared don't want to be scared, and it's a something. And it is it is something that can be actively resisted if you need to. It's the reason why if you go to a Friday night showing of The Purge Part Twelve, you're mm-hmm. going to have a lot of people laughing and goofing around, and it's right because they don't really want to invest in the thing and it's why sometimes it's harder to go to the more artsy horror movies like a hereditary or a 
the witch because you have people approaching those from the same place that you might approach a conjuring movie where all you want is you want your boo your your boo jolt and then you're done and this Mm -hmm. something that's more of a slow burn is not going to uh do it for you and it becomes just this kind of a mess of an experience and yeah nobody people don't want to be scared (laughs) i know that that, like that kind of almost goes against what a lot of people will say about horror i think that the instinct about instinct is to actively resist it and when it's more personal when it's on stage in front of you Mm -hmm. uh it's it's much you want to kick back harder at it i think that that what's interesting about plays is that they can do the horror thing with you can do something like Connor McPherson's The Weir yeah where we're all gonna just hang out and tell ghost stories and that's the show and I couldn't imagine a musical working that way yeah like um a song cycle of just ghosts I mean ghost quartet's kind of that yeah um ghost quartet's more of a concept album feels like to me yeah Um, yeah, but um, it doesn't, and, and it doesn't necessarily get under your skin as much. It's yeah. kind of funny to me that I feel like the two creepiest show tunes that I can think of from big shows are not from horror shows, and that's mm. "Poor Judd is Dead" mm. and "Mama Looks Sharp." Uh, both of those shows creep the hell out of me. Sorry, which both of those, not the shows, uh, the songs. And which so "Poor Judd is Dead" is from Oklahoma. "Mama Looks Sharp" is from seventeen seventy six. Right, right. I didn't hadn't heard uh, "Mama Looks Sharp" until grad school, and mm-hmm. it was just played in a lab one day, uh, a class, and I just kind of sat there, just like cringing in my seat at mm-hmm. the imagery being evoked, at yeah. the, the, the dead eyes looking up at the sky, the, and then the just kind of persistent drone of the song. My eyes are wide open, my face to the sky. Is that you I'm hearing in the tall grass nearby? Mama, come find me before I do. Both of those yeah. songs have this very uh, direct approach to death that, um, this very evocative approach to death that just gets right into my head. Yeah. Scares I'm, me more than anything. I'm <laughs> thinking back to Ghost Quartet, and one thing that show does that. I just find the scariest thing of all in the theater is that it turns off all the lights, (laughs) (laughs) which just scares me more than most things. (laughs) After giving everybody whiskey too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's, there's something about the dark that has nothing to really to do with like the musical theater form at all, but it's just (laughs) something that theatrically like you can do to, to evoke evoke fear in people um but yeah what about i'm also curious since i didn't see american psycho about the music because i am like a a fan of duncan sheik's music um generally um so just wondering like how you think the music in that show um helped the horror aspect didn't help the horror aspect had nothing to do with the horror aspect (laughs) it was a peculiar show because it was kind of a half jukebox musical Mm. like there were there was there's a little bit of licensed music in it um which works for the story i'm just gonna give a quick what american psycho is yeah yeah patrick bateman is a wall street finance guy in the 80s who has this basically supposedly perfect life, but he gets angsty about things like business cards and his fiance wanting to get married and basically goes out at night and kills people and keeps 
body parts in his fridge and uh the the big murder in the show is a guy who's um he's very jealous of because he has a better basically has a life that he covets um and he has one assist he has an assistant that jennifer damiano played in this uh production uh, chloe Sevigny plays in the uh the film version uh that is very sweet to him as basically kind of the only real person to him in the world mm-hmm. um and you kind of worry for her the entire time and american psycho both the brett easton ellis novel and the mary heron film both have had these very ambiguous endings i would say that the broadway show had a less ambiguous ending i think it was pretty clear what it was trying to say um and that is spoiler alert that patrick is that no no one has been killed that Mm. no one has died and that this is just all in his head um that the and the I, the highfalutin and satirical, uh, I guess, uh, notion is supposed to be that, and let's see if I can articulate this correctly, is that the, it's the commodification of people and uh, bodies and make him reach out for something real and he can't end. And the killing is supposed to be that thing, that connection to life, the connection to reality or whatever, or that's Mm. how I'm reading it. Um, And the show definitely has this feeling. The the show definitely gives you this sense that the uh, character that uh, Patrick Bateman is basically unable to even do that. Hmm. Like in the end, it's like this man who he's commodified and kind of treated like a he's actually objectified by his own fiance he's kind of feeling himself being bought and sold um in the end the one thing that he was doing to liberate himself in whatever way this kind of like mass killing that he was doing wasn't even something that was actually happening Hmm. um he had there's a line from the finale of that show uh which is like am i a symptom of the end of days uh maybe the the first line maybe the schism is just a symptom of late capitalism maybe the schism is just a symptom of late capitalism Saviors died and risen of worlds that wouldn't listen to their own collapse. That line might be the most prescient in the entire show, Mm -hmm. like, because I definitely feel that we live in a world that does not that is not listening to its own collapse yeah um, even now and yeah the lyrics are none of this exists for me this is all a fantasy there's no future here there is no history So yeah, that's yeah, that's the gist of the show. And so, like over the course of it, he gets more and more violent, and he's profoundly misogynistic. Uh, the show tampers it down a lot from the movie, but the movie, the movie, the film was made um, and written by uh, by two women, and mm. who took Brent Easton Ellis's novel and tried to spin it toward an indictment of toxic masculinity. With varying degrees of success, when you consider how many MRAs think of the main character as their hero now, mm-hmm. um, I had a friend who saw it, and she didn't like that he wasn't more of a badass, like murderer. That he wasn't that there was more more blood on stage. That he wasn't tougher, cooler, or whatever. Mm. Um, 
the character uses a lot of direct address toward the audience uh and that he ended up see coming off as kind of a wimp and i'm just like that's kind of the point like he's it's very much a piece about uh toxic masculinity and what men are made to do I guess. yeah duncan Sheik had original songs in the in the show and then there was a lot of pop stuff worked into uh, it okay um, in the air tonight was used beautifully um uh by phil collins hip to be square some of it was performed some of it was diegetically played in the show mm-hmm. um, and then duncan had original songs throughout the finale and stuff and his stuff seems to be more of yeah a commentary i think it was his, i think his music for that piece was very much a um roxy hart chicago movie feeling mm. thing where it was it wasn't exclusively in his head there's a couple of characters who sing without his presence um but it really does serve to elevate what he's dealing with and going through duncan definitely worked in a lot of more electronic feeling music into the score um it was cool because he definitely tried to lean into the 80s aesthetic Mm -hmm. but he didn't really he didn't he still made it very much his own and uh a lot of uh there's a really the big killing spree that he goes on at the top of the second act was uh was uh, basically a dance pop Mm. uh type song um so it was very very different from the stuff that i know from him and other pieces like i do feel like american psycho does owe a lot to it doesn't owe a lot to but shares ideas with sweeney todd i think Mm -hmm. in terms of sweeney todd has so much of that cannibalization of the cannibalizing effect impact of uh industrialization Mm -hmm. all those below serving those up above or whatever and i think that with the whole like new york elite finance cnbc and like that which has only proceeded to get worse and worse over years uh can shares a little bit of dna with uh mm-hmm. yeah um you mentioned the show we are tigers um yes. which i know we also want to talk about uh which i didn't see but if uh you want to talk a little bit about what that's about and how that fits in to what we've been talking about totally um i love where the tigers uh preston max allen wrote book music and lyrics and where the tigers is about a sleepover uh a cheerleader sleepover uh the worst cheerleading team ever is trying to have uh, trying to fix their squad for the year um and at some point people start getting killed and Mm -hmm. they've got to figure out who's doing it um and that's pretty much that that's the the very broad strokes of it but i i think that shows very very unique among horror musicals because i think the urge to go to camp Mm -hmm. is very very um tempting yeah the the urge to do the off completely bonkers uh evil dead type thing or whatever with your with your horror musical um and talk about cultivating dread uh the i i love that preston kind of throws out the rules for horror and throws out the rules for musicals with it like Mm -hmm. i definitely spent the first like half of that show the first half of the first act of that show kind of going wait, I thought I came here to see this thing. <laughs> I was seeing something far more interesting because he focuses in on the relationships between these young women and really sets up a complex world for them where and creates all of these characters relatively quickly that you really like. Um, and it, it kind of reminds me of the, the film Psycho because mm-hmm. it has that first that because it's a it has that kind of fake out quality to it where you think you're watching this and then it takes a turn when somebody dies yeah um and i think i said this on twitter afterwards i'm just like how dare you kill the character i liked most in this show first (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i mean i can't remember but like 
the, the one of the fir- the first person to get killed in that show is in my is the closest I felt that I was getting to an audience POV character. Yeah. Um, and I think the other way he uh, creates something very unique is he borrows the whodunit quality of a lot of 90s horror films like Scream um, and Urban Legend and those and blows that up. And so you have you have that additional thing to intrigue the audience. It's like, oh, I have to figure out who the killer is. Right. Um, and I, I had, at different points in the show, I thought it was six different people, <laughs> and uh, it's definitely set up. It was definitely set up so it all made sense at the end. It wasn't like a gotcha. It was just like just wasn't like oh, this was a hobo who was hiding in the closet or something right, like that. Right, right. It was very organically done, and it just pulls you in and just lets you enjoy, it lets you enjoy these relationships between these characters and everything, and then completely throws you for a loop by killing a bunch of them Mm. and then gets them all back together for the second act and you know that the killer's in the room like because these were the only people are the only people left one of them has to be it right Um, and the and so the shock of i think it's really smart to and not something that horror takes advantage of a lot the horror musicals take advantage of a lot uh is to really flesh out and create your characters and then kill one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kill one of the most likable ones. Uh, uh, I think movies have a similar problem with that. I mean, a lot of horror movies of the 80s are all about, well, let's feed these idiot teenagers to the to the serial killer because yeah. that's easier than doing the work of characterizing. Um, and... It, some people just want to come for the killings, but uh, yeah, I think very. I think that that show does a lot of things that nothing has dared to do. Mm. Uh, that's been try- that have tried to do the same thing, and I don't think it gets anywhere near enough credit for it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Think- I forgot how scary like not knowing who the killer is is, mm-hmm. like a lot of a lot of what we've been talking about like you know who the killer is. It's the main character who we're following and who's doing the killing. But there's something very scary about, like, because then it's kind of like you don't know when a killing is going to happen. And Mm -hmm. that brings, I mean, that's like a very hard slasher movie type of trope, I guess. But, um, But I forgot until you were talking about the show, like how scary that that aspect is of of just not knowing it should definitely make you made you feel like kind of like nothing was safe and no one was safe mm-hmm. um which is scary rest, and it didn't need to use it didn't need to use it's like american psycho loud sounds and screams were kind of their jolt moments in that show mm-hmm. um it had but american psycho had other things on its mind uh julia gitry and avi amon's uh white city mm-hmm. i rem watching readings of that uh, which is about the uh, World's Fair juxtaposed right. with H.H. Holmes existing, mm. uh, one of the first American serial killers, uh, did that really well just by making him, making the serial killer a side character in their story who just kind of exists. Like, So you're basically waiting for the snake to bite the entire show. Mm. Um, so by the time that the protagonist was like, confront it was suddenly near anytime anyone you cared about in that show got near him you were just like no 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 um it comes back to that dread factor of creating a situation where you know where the audience knows the character won't be safe right and obviously that doesn't mean anything if the audience doesn't want the character to be okay right well Great, then let's move on to our next section. Why is this so good? We're going to stay in the horror vein because we're going to be talking about And Eve Was Weak from the musical Carrie. Um, So why did you pick this song for Why Is This So Good? That song to me is The Show Has Begun. Mm -hmm. Like, that song to me is, it's, I mean, you you say you don't necessarily want one song to run away with a show. um, Yeah. And that song runs away with the show i feel like it 
immediately lets you know who Margaret White is if you haven't seen any the movie or if you haven't seen the uh uh if you haven't read the book you come to it this it's this amazing character introduction for this completely ridiculous woman um and I'm, I'm very fascinated by Mary Maisie versus Betty Buckley's portrayals because I think Betty's is very similar, which is funny because Betty's in the movie. Like, the Betty's is very on the same level with Piper Laurie's character in the film. Mm. And I think Mary Maisie is just completely a complete reimagining of it. Um, yeah. Were you able to see the production? I did. I saw it. Uh, Marin was not in it when I saw it. I saw an understudy for that, for the mother. Um, who, who, who was good? You know, she was... She was perfectly good in the in the role. Much more earthy, folksy, homey version of mm. the character than this kind of like cloak wearing, all black, all, yeah, um, or more puritanical uh, version that both, from what I've seen, uh, Betty Buckley was portraying and everything, and it's two very very different feelings from the two different versions of it because i mean a the orchestrations are different um yeah and Marin Maisie's playing so much dread actual pure dread for her child mm-hmm. like i feel like she's definitely she's actually terrified for her child's soul she's terrified for her child's she's playing that reality um to up to an 11 your head and pray woman and God made Eve from the rib of Adam and Eve was weak and loosed the raven on the world Mama, and the raven fault. was called sin and God visited Eve with a curse and the curse was the curse of blood say it woman and God made Eve from Adam's rib and Eve was weak mama and how Eve could was I weak. know and Eve was weak. Why didn't you tell me? And God made Eve to bear the curse, the curse of blood. It's not a curse. Miss Gardner said it's blood. something all girls go through. The curse of blood. You should have told me! You're a woman now. Pray to heaven for your wicked soul. The raven came to plague the world. Its name was sin. It's not a sin. Its name was sin. Oh, mama, it's, it's not a sin. Its name was sin. Begin. And lust was how the sin began. The sin was man. I don't understand. Well, understand. No. The sin was man. So, yeah, I, I think that it's a fascinating song because it's one of those rare songs that uh shows that sometimes the flashiest lyrics are not the right lyrics mm-hmm. like margaret white kind of gives you this give, gives the, the the lyricist this extra kind of uh permission to be a little bit more to have somebody say things she's basically speaking these verses through the entire song like it's all very broad and very dramatic and very um just completely out there and it's sometimes it's nice in theater where we have to be so literal sometimes uh and where verbosity is uh prized uh to see something a a character so tightly and beautifully evoked in Mm -hmm. these very big broad phrases this repetition this kind of um this the less flashy uh lyric writing and this bombastic music like this that rolling 12 8 thing yeah yeah the songs in 12 8 which yeah it gives it like a rolling quality it gives it like a a driving quality like Mm -hmm. like a galloping quality (laughs) And it gives care. It gives room for Carrie to have the call and response with her throughout, mm-hmm. and for that to get more and more intense as it goes along. I was trying to find find see if they creeped any of that Gregorian DSRA in there because I feel like I'm always looking for that. Yeah, kind of it has that feel. It feels like I mean, it feels like it's Mozart's Requiem. Like it yeah. feels like it's a movement from Mozart's Requiem. And I mean, if you're not listening quite so intensely to the lyrics, but mm-hmm. just that that feel of it and. Um, it, it feels biblical like the music yeah. to me feels biblical to go with the the verses and everything it's so big and like that there's something godlike is happening it, it it feels like like the uni- like the the heavens are opening up and like a, an angry god is like actually coming down 
Yeah. Um, the force of nature has entered the room. Yeah. I mean, that show and that story, I mean, what's scary to me from that show is is the final scene with with the, you know, the famous final scene. That's like the scariest moment for me in that show, just because I'm like, I can put myself in that room. Um, mm -hmm. But this moment, this song is is probably the most terrifying moment because it's so intimate between yeah. these two characters. Um, you feel like like you you feel like you're 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 somewhere you should not be like yeah. watching this thing that you should not see because it's so it's like private domestic madness you've walked in on something yeah yeah that's so that's so abusive that's so terrifying i mean what in this moment she i, th I think it's hard for me to remember the show because it was eight years ago now but that yeah. i saw it but but she's gotten her period I think mm -hmm. and her mother is is kind of freaking out is the wrong phrase but it's uh, it's uh <laughs> yeah it's an understatement but um about like because it's because it's now she's you know able to commit uh, the sin of of desire and and procreation and sex and all that mm -hmm. stuff um which is all in the in the song. And Carrie's already upset because she feels like her mother's betrayed her in some way because for not telling her that this was a part of her life. Mm -hmm. But her mother quite clearly believes that there was a way for this not to happen. That there mm -hmm. was a way that she was going to somehow that that this is still that this is some punishment still or for it to her to her daughter that's put her daughter in this danger and everything that her mother like she clearly feels like there was a way to prevent this from ever happening which is why she would never tell her daughter about it um, yeah. but and that carrie's just fighting an unwinnable battle and it's so cool how that moment that the song defines both of them their relationship and just the world of the show in a completely different way i feel than a, a lot else in the show does like it just and I kind of almost feel like you could write completely different Carrie just by spinning off from this moment of the show mm -hmm. um, because of that something that's a little bit more intimate and focused on that relationship and less the high school clicky mm -hmm. mean girl stuff. I think also what's terrifying about this song is how overpowering the mother, like it's a duet, but the mother is so much overpowering the other person. Like yeah. it's not an equal it's not an equal duet in any way. It's a very, yeah. like, and the screen, like, there, I mean, she's screaming through it. It's, mm -hmm. it's very intense. I the also, music is definitely with her. The, the music is her music. It's on her side. And it just yeah. swats. It feels like all of Carrie's lines are swatted to the side. Yeah. 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 I want, I, I, like, went through the chords of this song. Because I was like, what is happening here? Like, <laughs> it's going, it's in F- at that point, it's an F minor, and it goes from F minor to D flat. So it's like the one to the six, which is major. And then it goes to the G, which should be a minor chord, but it turns major there, huh. which, which I don't know. There's something so unsettling about that. Yeah. I mean, major, major is supposed to, going from minor to major is supposed to be like, usually like ah you know but it yeah. it like um turns it against you yeah i don't know what exactly it does i'm like trying to find the words but it i mean that chord progression is throughout but there's just something about that when that turns you're expecting a g minor chord there but it's a g major chord maybe that's has like the uh biblical 
aspect of it. There's just something of like, I, I don't know, maybe someone with more musical knowledge than me can say what it sound can refer it to something, uh, make a reference to what it sounds like. But mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like that's where the, the heavens open up in a way mm-hmm. and unleashes yeah. like whatever demon spirit is coming out <laughs> in that moment. It's like it's it's almost and it's so it's weirdly satisfying to listen to like when she hits those like sustained notes because it's like getting the car out on the highway versus mm. like and like opening up and just going 90 miles an hour like there's something about it that just yeah because before that it's very it's very fast like no um nothing's really held out it's all like did did it did it did it did it you know um and then it's then you get i mean then you get the you know um so it's slowing down a little i guess it's like you get you go from like the really fast part to the it's kind of slowing down um in each section until you get to those whole notes I wonder if it in any way evokes any more like very some of that very severe church music mm-hmm. of like I don't know medieval. It's what scared me about going to church when I was five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is, it's in that song, and yeah. And those last notes that where it's like Marin very makes them very internal and very like focused for it feels very focused and very that. Uh, for at that, for that is the kingdom and the power and glory forever, mm-hmm. forever, never that Betty is just off, just kind of off the mark, off the map. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, very big, very presentational with it, which works because that orchestration is so different too. The mm. original production, that orchestration is those those strings just yeah, uh, just kind of sweeping and flying away with, with everything, and the timpani that you can feel underneath it too, and that synth drum that they've got in there is really bizarre. Father, don't forsake her, Father, take her, cleanse and purify her with the fire and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Well, we'll just end with uh our something wonderful section which mm-hmm. you know things in the musical theater world that we're excited about obviously no live shows going on right now but you know something we want to something we're you know an event or a book or a songs or you know anything we want to give a shout out to or we're excited about i'm excited for some semblance of tony's to happen mm-hmm. to just put a put a pin on the put a pin on the season yeah um speaking of horror stuff keeping on theme i mm-hmm. i'm a feel a bad musical theater person because i don't know if it's out and available yet but i've been very very interested in uh checking out killer party oh yeah i started that yeah. that's true i for i i like was have been watching it but i didn't make the horror musical connection that mm-hmm. you know um yeah, no, that's definitely a great thing to shout out. It's it's very, I, I I'm two episodes in, so I'm not very no. far. Um, it's very well done. Um, in terms of just like the whole production value and the the songs so far have been really good and um, nice. yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, yeah, I definitely want to check that out. So that's yeah. something I'm excited about for sure. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. 
You can write to scenesasong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by taking a moment to rate it on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at scene song and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald and check back here in two weeks for our next episode. <laughs>